0: In 2072, a rogue artificial intelligence known as Shodan lost her mind. In her limitless imagination, Shodan saw herself as a goddess destined to inherit the earth. That image was snuffed out by the hacker who created her.
1: Welcome to a special preview of Pantheon of the Blood God, our monthly podcast devoted to exploring the very best RPGs of all time. I'm Kat Bailey and this month's selection is System Shock 2, which was frequently lauded as one of the greatest horror RPGs of all time. System Shock 2 can trace its lineage back to classic dungeon crawlers like Wizardry, which subsequently branched into so-called immersive sims like Ultima Underworld. System Shock 2 was special because it successfully combined the shooter genre and the RPG genre for the first time, paving the way for later hits like Deus Ex. It also was really special in the way that it utilized audio and environmental design to create an atmosphere of real dread. Our special guest this month is Jeff Green, who was at CGW when System Shock Two came out, and he has plenty of great stories to tell from that time period. If you want to hear the full episode, check out patreoncom bloodgodpod and sign up at the $10 level, which will give you access to our other podcast explorations of Final Fantasy VIII, Lufia II and Skies of Arcadia, as well as our Legend of Zelda 35th Anniversary Tribute, and our complete watch of The Witcher on Netflix. Okay, let's continue on to our special preview of Pantheon of the Blood God, System Shock 2. Don't go away. I think any conversation about System Shock 2 really has to start with Ultima Underworld War Inspector Ultima Underworld was a big deal when it came out in March 1992. It combined elements of wizardry with realistic interactions to create what like some like to call the immersive sim. War Inspector would go on to make the original sh- system shock which was mm, primitive. It didn't even have mouse look. Nevertheless, it had a cult following. I think that the the first thing that the CGW review points out is that it wasn't actually a failure. It sold like 170,000 units, but at the time, it was known as kind of a kind of a game that nobody really played, but people were kind of aware of. Did you play the original System Shock, Jeff?
0: I did back in the day. Um, it's I, I like probably not since then, so I can't even recall if it would would hold up. I do remember that there were a lot of Doom comparisons at the time, which was, was such an it's such an odd thing in retrospect. But but you know every, everything was. If it was remotely like doom it was a doom clone mm-hmm. um you know the the mouse look thing too was like i mean that was all those games right i mean mouse look just wasn't a thing back then uh doom didn't have it um it was really that's right
2: doom was very straight ahead and uh yeah everything there was no like aiming up or down it
0: was just what it was that's right if there was something you know six feet above you you just aimed straight and it would it would yeah. hit
1: it's funny that we thought of those games as being in 3D, even though you were finding 2D sprites and you couldn't look up or down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting that. There was no sense of verticality either, because you could go upstairs, but you, weren't, you couldn't jump. That wasn't a thing in the original Doom.
0: Right. Now, Marathon, on, which was on the Mac at first, you, you, that had mouse look. Um, so that was one of Bungie's first games doesn't really get the credit for the innovation that
1: it oh, had. Oh, interesting. I remember the original Dark Forces had mouse look as well, and that made a huge difference, but I picked up Dark Forces in like 1995, 96, whenever it came out and I was still definitely playing with the arrow keys at that time. Mm-hmm. That was how you played first person shooters, so
0: Absolutely. Yep. I remember, uh, I've mentioned Elliot Chin three times now in this podcast. He was he was the guy at CGW who taught the rest of us how to do uh, circle strafing in shooters. Ah. Because that was such a big deal. So he
1: was destroying you all in Doom Deathmatch?
0: Completely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, some years later, Looking Glass Studios approaches Irrational Games and asks if they'd like to make a System Shock-like game baby together, as Nadia writes. Looking Glass (laughs) was a fan of System Shock and wanted to make something similar. Looking Glass Studios, of course, was the studio behind Thief the Dark Project, which was a pretty big deal in the late 90s. People hadn't really experienced stealth action games at that time. We all kind of like to credit Metal Gear for sort of inventing the genre, but I think in many ways Thief the Dark Project uh, codified it, as it were.
0: Right. Well, and you know, that it was that was a PC console dichotomy too, right? Um, yeah, Metal Gear wasn't on PCs. Uh, for me, uh, the big difference—you guys can correct me if I'm wrong—because I'm less familiar with with uh, Metal Gear as a series overall. But Thief, the big thing was uh, was the use of light and shadows uh, as as part of the stealth game. That a, a whole lot of it had to do with. Um, you know, shooting out lights or, or I guess it was what candles or whatever it was at the time of the game, um, as a way of uh, masquerading your your uh, your appearance from the yeah.
2: From the I don't AI. think the PlayStation could handle that. God bless it. It was very much a matter of keeping out of the enemy's sight and maybe fooling them by knocking on a, you know making a sound and making it sound like making it seem like it was coming from somewhere else, and that was considered like really. Well, at the time, it was really incredible AI, So, but I don't recall there being like a, a big deal using dark and shadow and, and light.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You weren't doing those things, but you could do things like the enemies would notice your footprints in the snow, for
0: example, right. so you uh, could lure them
2: that way. It was more about enemy AI and how clever it was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the one problem I remember having with Thief at the time was, you know, you could use your arrows to to shoot out all the lights around the enemy AI and, like, yes, now you were invisible to them, but, like, they wouldn't react. So, you know, <laughs> you have these guards well, on patrol, and, like, and now everything's dark, and they're just like, doo-doo-doo. Doo, yeah, doo, it doo, just kind doo, of broke the for, immersion for me. Yeah,
2: That's great. I love that shit. We were just talking about that with Skyrim and stuff like that. Oh, the guy got an arrow. The guy next to me got an arrow in the eye. Yeah. Oh, what was that? Oh, it was nothing, I guess. <laughs>
1: Well, Looking Glass was a publisher based in Massachusetts. It was founded by Paul Nurath and Ned Lerner as Blue Sky Studios in 1990. It ended up closing in 2000 for a multitude of reasons, including bad sales of newer games, deals with IDOS and Sony that fell through, and the sp- cancellation of a spy game called Deep Cover. I remember Looking Glass was kind of a a darling at that time. People really talked very fondly about that studio, but it never seemed like any of their games could sell. Was the problem?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. it seemed to hit a lot of bad luck. Uh, just a lot of uh, they they've gone over it themselves. People who worked there and said there's no one thing that killed the studio. It's just a lot of uh, just a stream of bad luck.
1: Well, the game was initially called Junction Point, and the story had Heart of Darkness vibes, wherein you were supposed to assassinate a starship Captain Gah mad. Sounds kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Junction Point's RPG elements, seen in the dungeon crawling style of gameplay, the stat building, the inventory management, was made particularly prominent to prevent the game from being dismissed as a Doom clone, which, of course, it ultimately <laughs> was. Well, Half Life Or a Half Life yes. Clone. <laughs> which the team believed kept the first System Shock from achieving financial success. An early design doc states, the character grows, not just their gun collection. Junction Point was pitched to multiple publishers, including EA, who owned the System Shock property through its purchase of Origin. It just said, say, why don't we make this a System Shock sequel? Whereupon game designer Ken Levine said, "Uh, sure. (laughs) And that was how (laughs) System Shock 2 was born the game story was changed accordingly but the gameplay remained the same it had a very small team a very young team and it had a budget of about seven hundred thousand dollars so <laughs> not a lot of resources and this was around the time that games were costing you know had larger development teams and were costing millions of dollars to develop so seven hundred thousand dollars was not a lot
2: Yeah, I have to say, coming as someone who's actually still very new to the game I actually played it for the first time, a lot of the graphics do hold up. uh, Beyond the fact some of the character models look like they made out of six polygons, like the environments themselves still look quite good and still have that, that real sense of atmosphere to them. So good on them for doing that with quite a small budget and a very young
1: team. Irrational Games was formed in 1997 from three former Looking Glass employees, Ken Levine, Jonathan Che, and Robert Fermier. They were responsible for System Shock 2, of course, Freedom Force, SWAT 4, and the game that maybe is their most famous production, which was Bioshock. Irrational was acquired by Take-Two in 2007, and in 2014 it was restructured as Ghost Story Games with it focusing on immersive story-driven games. We haven't heard or seen what Levine has up his sleeve since then. Uh, Ken Levine, a lot of controversy around that particular move because he basically said, well, I'm tired of running Irrational. I'm going to size down the staff a lot. And a lot of people lost their jobs as a result. Yeah, Levine's a figure, all right. He is a figure. And we should probably talk about him right now. So, Ken Levine started out as a writer and director in television and movies, which explains why his games are so steeped in narration. Some of his works, MASH, Fraser, Cheers, Everybody Hates Raymond. Everybody Hates Raymond. <laughs> that slipped <laughs> that in there, sorry. Thank you, Nadia. I wanted to see if you, see if you would notice. <laughs> and The Simpsons, he co-wrote Dance and Homer, and also the Go-Kart episode in Season 3. So... But it doesn't sound like his time in Hollywood really worked out because eventually he came over to video games, and that's where he's been ever since. Apparently, got into games in 1995 after an answering an ad for Looking Glass in Next Gen Magazine, and he ended up working on Thief. He founded Irrational Games in '97 and worked on System Shock 2, and then eventually Bioshock. Jeff, have you ever actually met Ken Levine? I imagine you have.
0: I have um quite a few times we 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 bonded over our Jewishness among other things.
2: <laughs> oh. Um yeah, we can bond over Jewishness as well. Hi. Awesome.
0: Hey. <laughs> uh happy Passover.
2: Um, MOT
0: MOT. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh yeah, he he's a, a very funny guy, very talented guy. Um actually he uh had an almost return to Hollywood. I'm not sure how much this is been talked about, uh, post, I guess it was post Bioshock. Just remember running into him at a at a at a uh, an event, and he was uh, uh hired to make a remake of Logan's Run. Mm. And uh, I, That's I right. And I don't know if it ever. I guess it ne- uh, clearly it never got off the ground because or because it hasn't happened. But um, yeah, he you know he's an opinionated guy and a very big personality. And uh, I know that if you talk to former employees at Irrational, there's there's a lot of people who had a great time and a lot of people who did not have a, a great time. My personal experience with him is he was always just a, a, a stand up guy with me and a, and a and a fun guy to talk to. But a controversial figure, no doubt.
1: One of those auteurs who really. Exercises a lot of hands-on control over the development of his games, especially with Bioshock Infinite.
0: Right, Um, that's probably the main thing I heard was, uh, and this is all hearsay, of course. So you know, but uh, people I talked to worked at Irrational. It's like if you were if you were on, you know, in his good graces, you were fine, but once Mm. you were not, you were totally not. So,
1: one thing that I can say about Ken Levine and. I mean, I'm sure that the development team folk, uh, added a lot of the to this as well, because it's always a mistake to attribute anything to any one person. But Ken Levine's games tend to be really good at environmental storytelling, and that's the case in both System Shock 2 and in Bioshock. And I'm not going to say that he invented it, but he really helped push it forward in a lot of ways, especially with... Concepts like audio logs, which arguably yeah. was invented yes. in System Shock
0: too, yes, absolutely. I think you know um, the last time that I I played System Shock 2 I was I marvelled at the fact that you know in my mind it was like a a big story with like a you know big plot plot arc, which it does have, have multiple characters that you get to know, uh, you get to know their personalities, but when you're you play the game, it's just you. You know, you are alone, mm-hmm. um, and that aloneness, of course, was part of the experience. And yet, uh, they did so much so effectively with audio logs, which, of course, can just be kind of a drag and kind of a a way to sort of shove your story off to the side without doing anything. But somehow, uh, the uh, uh, the folks at Irrational were able to make it work.
2: I think one of the reasons it works, in my opinion, is because you're still always, alongside the audio logs, you're still following that voice that's always kind of goading you along and, and stringing you and telling you where to go. True. So they're kind of like extensions of that.
0: hmm Right.
1: Yeah. Using sound design, and he is not a big fan, seemingly, of cutscenes that take away from the character, like. A lot of games at this time would go into in-engine cutscenes where it would move into a little bit letterbox format and the camera's panning across the character. More often than not in System Shock 2, it remains in first-person point of view as the story is happening or you'll be running down a hallway while Shodan is talking to you. One of the few examples I can think of where that is not happening, for example, is at the end, interestingly enough, where it becomes more traditional in that kind of way. And I I think that's one of the kind of the weaker elements, even if it is also kind of hilarious. (laughs) System Shock 2 was directed and programmed by Jonathan Che. Some of his notable credits include Bioshock, Thief 2, Tribes Vengeance, and Void Bastards. Che worked on Thief the Dark Project in that game's Dark Engine was utilized for System Shock 2. It led to a lot of problems. Dark Engine was unfinished, which forced the dev team to fix a lot of bugs. The dark engine's unfinished state left it very malleable, however, which Che still regards as a cursed blessing. At times, we long for a finished and frozen engine with an unalterable API that was rigidly defined and implemented. The perfect black box. But being able to tamper with the engine allowed us to change it to support System Shock-specific features in ways that a game general engine never could. And I think that because it uses the dark engine from Thief, you can see a lot of the influence from Thief in System Shock to specifically the stealth elements.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, shooting out cameras, even early in the (laughs) game. If you don't shoot out those cameras, you'll get swarmed very quickly, as I learned the hard way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and things like enemies can hear your footsteps and will react to them. It's easy to get swarmed in this game, so you definitely want to be pretty careful about how you approach individual encounters. It's definitely... There's a running gun element to System Shock 2, but not in the same way as a game like Doom, for example.
0: Really, especially for modern audiences, if if you go back to System Shock 2, it's actually pretty difficult. Um, I mean, comparatively to to what we're used to now, um, I think both for shooters and for RPGs, you know, they really stack the odds against you. Um, yeah, there's there's the security cameras and the turrets are absolutely brutal. And of course, you can learn um, hacking skills, which can take out the cameras and the turrets. But the the points you get for upgrades along those lines are very stingily doled out. They um, are, um, yeah. You know, you have to really make some big choices. I, I imagine we'll get into that as what you want to develop in, into your character. But even if you focus on on st- on uh, tech, it's still difficult to. Uh, to hack those things because first you have to have enough points to do it, and then you have to actually succeed in the little mini games to do the hacking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, they had those mini games in Bioshock 2. and it was a modification. I think the game is Pipes, and I love Pipes, so I was really good at those. But uh, System Shock Two, you're right, it actually shocked me a little bit, so to speak, at how much more unforgiving it was next to Bioshock, even on easy. Yes, like it's uh, you will be just brutalized. I think for one thing, there is no auto um, recover at all in that game. Whereas in Bioshock, you stand off to the side for a bit, you can recover. In System Shock 2, the best you can hope for is you have a health hypo. And even when you like plug that into yourself, it's not like, oh, here's 50 hit points. Yeah, you're good. You have to plug that in. And you have to kind of stand off somewhere and let yourself recharge for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's all it will do for you. And so there's no... Not a lot of second chances in this game. The save system is not forgiving.
0: It's not forgiving. The health hypos themselves, unless you, you know, a couple points, you have the option of of increasing their effectiveness. But for the most part, they don't fully heal you. Um, you know, you start out with something like, what, like 30 or 40 hit points to start with. Yeah, so not you're, a lot. You're, you're very weak from the very start. Um, and with things like the, the uh, hacking, it actually costs every time you hack. So the in-game currency is nanites. And you have to pay just to do the <laughs> just to do just the a, hack. Just to fail. Yeah. And if you fail, <laughs> you have to pay again. So you that could actually money, just sucker. run out of the currency to just heal your to, to do the hacking, let alone do anything else in the game.
1: One of the things that Che talks about is how young the development team was. And I think this is a pretty common trope. In the late 90s, he had a, young, a lot of young game developers coming up who were kind of precocious and they had big ideas about how they wanted to approach game design because game technology was changing so rapidly and we were finally able to start creating the worlds that we had always kind of wanted to create in the interactive space. I think Ken Levine was definitely in that mold. And Che said, to a certain extent, inexperience also bred enthusiasm and commitment that might not have been present with a more jaded set of developers, i.e. they worked themselves to death to try and create (laughs) the perfect game. I.e. crunch, crunch, crunch. We're framing
2: it as a real go-getter sort of thing, but yeah, crunch.
1: The artist was Gareth Hines. Uh, He's a mixed media artist based in D.C. He's responsible for much of System Shock 2's concept art. He currently does graphic novel adaptations of classic literature, which is actually kind of cool. Apparently, there's a Macbeth one.
2: Yeah, there's a Macbeth one that I really wanna oh, that that I actually cool. wanna buy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks really awesome. System Shock Two has very good art, though. It's also very late '90s art. I think of Image Comics when I think of System Shock Two in a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, it, it absolutely is it's actually really interesting to see his art now because it's so different, so much softer. And then there was the composers. System Shock Two has a really interesting, heavy, reverb, synth-driven soundtrack. In some ways, it feels like the forerunner to Mass Effect. It was composed by three different people. So there was Josh Randall, one of Looking Glass Studios' former directors and musicians. He's an eternal legend for using co- footage of his colonoscopy as a texture for the body of the many. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did.
2: What a sacrifice. I mean, Ugh. have either of you had a colonoscopy? no. Uh, Yes, I have. I have. Sorry to say, I have. Well, you're an older fellow. I'm yes, not to I say have. like in an assaulting way, but yeah, you would have. I've had one. Uh, just cause I had problems, and uh, they don't let you keep the footage. At least not here.
0: I think it belongs to the government,
2: <laughs> so I, I can't have. put it in a video game.
0: I'll be honest. The the time, I guess, I've had it twice uh, in in my dotage, and uh, I, I can honestly say I never thought to ask if I could have the footage. <laughs> 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 Same,
1: to be honest with you. Well, that explains why the body of the many looks like kind of so off-putting and gross and organic. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, we were looking yeah. at a dude's colonoscopy in a video <laughs> game. at tracks. Look at episode of King of the Hill. They're going to eventually remake System Shock 2. I hope they don't get too realistic with it. Oh,
2: HD colonoscopies. Oh, man. Oh, now we're man. talking. Ugh.
1: You wanted something a little different, albeit creepy for System Shock 2's sound, When we started working on Shock Two, we knew we wanted a driving electronic sound. The soundtrack to Shock One by Greg Low Piccolo was pretty iconic, but we wanted to go darker. And I think that they really succeed, especially when you get to some of the bigger moments, like when Shodan first reveals herself. The thing that's interesting about System Shock Two, and I think, is actually kind of ahead of its time, is how sparingly it uses music and Mm -hmm. when it uses its music it's to really punctuate a moment and i think it's extremely effective in that regard
0: yes one thing that i uh, remember is that when you do fail at the uh, security or when you set off the security that's also when uh, a lot of the electronic uh, electronics music will kick in so uh, i mean it's a musical cue that lets you know you're in trouble um and you i think it's like a minute or two that the that everybody, that every monster in the whole game is looking for you, but uh, but it really ups the tension of of that situation.
1: There was also Ramin Jawadi. A German composer who scored TV shows, movies, and games, including System Shock Two, he scored Game of Thrones. Josh noted that he was really good at creepy, atmospheric stuff. Clearly, and then finally, there was Eric Roches. System Shock Two was eventually released in August of 1999. It was reviewed in CGW by Deslock, which, hey, it's a Star Blazers reference. I appreciate that. <laughs> Is that, that a Star mm-hmm. Blazers reference? Mm-hmm, that was the
2: main. Because I actually. Hmm? Oh, yeah, because I actually uh, just watched a kind of a not really a a long retrospective on Star Blazer, but it looks kind of cool. I wanted to want to watch Yamato
1: now. It's a Yamato 2199. Strongly recommend. It's very good. Definitely. It definitely seems cool. If you like System Shock 2, you'll probably like Yamato 2199. No, just kidding. I don't know. I just wanted to connect them somehow. (laughs) Classic anime, though. Uh, But yes, Deslock said, even though the game features a novel setting and contains significant RPG elements, gameplay doesn't evolve significantly beyond that of recent first-person shooters. You'll spend much of your time firing at enemies around corners, opening crates, and engaging in key hunts that demand meticulous exploration. IGN said, the one warning that I would offer up to hardcore action fans who may be put off by the RPG elements that make this game what it is, in the end, though, I would recommend this title for just about anyone who's over the age of 16. This game is really scary and who likes deep, rich play adventures. It ultimately beat sales of the original, but Looking Glass lost money on the project, which is kind of a oh. common theme with Looking Glass, unfortunately. It,
2: it seems to be, yeah. I guess that's kind of a, an example of the bad luck. I, here I was even thinking, when I when I was researching this, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe at least had a hit with uh, System Shock 2, but
1: no, they didn't even have that. Since then, I, I think, as we were already mentioning, System Shock 2 seemed to kind of enjoy a second renaissance around the time of the release of Bioshock because everybody was saying, hey, this game Bioshock that you love, have you ever tried System Shock 2? Showdown, am I right? It was. <laughs> I think its legacy was hurt ever so slightly by the fact that it was never released on console because it was never meant to be. The control scheme was way too complicated, but that meant that an entire... Subsection of the gaming community never really got to enjoy it in the same way that Bioshock fans did. Nevertheless, it consistently appears on greatest games of all time lists. Uh, A lot of people talk about how it's an amazing pioneer of horror gameplay. Vice lauded it the timeless horror of System Shock 2. And along with Bioshock, it's the game most consistently cited as Ken Levine's kind of magnum opus. It was hugely influential on the games that followed from Deus Ex to Bioshock to Prey 2017. And at this very moment, Night Dive Studios is remaking the original System Shock with updated combat, and System Shock 2 Enhanced Edition is on the way with VR support. Exciting. Mm.
2: Oh my god, that'd be oh terrifying. Oh god, and so I can barf and scream. <laughs> Seriously. <right?
1: laughs> barf while screaming. <laughs> <Blah>. <laughs> <laughs> System Shock Two. This game will make you barf in terror. Not even Oxford. Thanks so much for listening to our special preview of our Pantheon of the Blood God exploration of System Shock Two. Again, if you want to hear the full episode, you can access it at the $10 level at patreon.com slash As always, we appreciate your support. And next month, we'll be back to talk about Terranigma, the classic top-down action RPG that never made it to North America. Until then, for Nadia, Jeff, and myself. Thanks for listening, and happy adventuring.